If you have your Bible, I didn't give my heads up. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. John chapter 6. I'm going to read one verse from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. But I want us to look at John chapter 6. This morning's message is entitled, Lord, we're with you. Have you ever told someone, no matter who else, we're with you? You can count on me. I'm going to hang in there. I'm with you. No matter what the test, no matter what the opposition, we're with you. We're with it until the battle is over, until the work is done. In the sixth chapter of John, our Lord began to face some difficulties that had not yet begun to take place until about this point in his ministry. He has been working miracles all over the countryside. People have been changed and transformed. They've been physically, miraculously healed. On one occasion, he has fed 4,000 people with just a little bit, a handful of food. On this occasion... 5,000 people gather. They are searching Jesus out. They're hunting him. They're looking for him. The only problem is they're looking for him for the wrong reason. They're really not interested in being a disciple of Jesus. These are joiners. They want to come jump on the bandwagon. They want to get a ticket to heaven. They want to know that no matter what they do, they're okay, so to speak. They're not really committed in giving their life to Christ. The joiners. With that bit of backdrop, I want to read one verse at the end of the story that we will come back to. Verse 60 and then following. I want to read verse 66. Let me just read verse 66 for the sake of time. He makes this statement. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You, do you too want to leave me? Jesus asked the twelve. What's going on? How do we become men and women of God? How do we grow past shallow, meaningless discipleship? How do we become real and legitimate in our commitment to Christ? How do we make a real difference in our world? It won't be by just getting our name on a roll. It, It won't come from just showing up at a service and sitting on a pew and suffering through somebody's sermon. It will become the result of a life commitment to Christ that knows no retreat and no abandonment. Is our attitude simply, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this relationship? Or have we made a real and legitimate commitment to Christ? Jesus had just fed the 5,000. A little bit of bread, a couple of fish. You know the story as well as I do. All these people had been fed. They had all been satisfied. Jesus had told them to take up what was left and 12 baskets of food was left over. But a problem had resulted. 
Jesus had just fed the 5,000. But the scripture says they were at a point. Now listen to me carefully. They were ready to rise up and make him king by force. Had this taken place, Rome would have retaliated. A lot of Jewish people would have died. Jesus' mission had been, would have been undermined. He did not come to this earth to be a worldly, earthly king. He didn't come to just make blind people see and people with broken limbs healed. He had come to do eternal changes in the lives of men. But they couldn't see that. All they could see was that they had come hungry and they had been fed. And that's what they wanted and that's what they sought. As a result of that, fearing that his own disciples would get caught up in such shallow, meaningless discipleship. Jesus told them to get in the, get in the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee to the other side, a six-mile trip. While he went up into the mountains alone to pray. Alone in the hills, facing the crisis of shallow followers who wanted to crown him. And sinister foes who wanted to kill him. Jesus faced this trial on his knees. Like he always faced great trials. He took it to the Father in prayer. And sought the leadership of the Father in what to do. For in the next several hours our Lord would be on that hillside. Praying and talking to the Father. During this time his disciples would be in that boat trying to cross that water. And the only problem is, as you're well aware, a storm came. And those storms in that bowl of water, if you will, between those mountains, could become tremendous. And they began to toss their small vessel like a cork in the river. Jesus, having finished his prayer, comes to meet his disciples. You know the story. He walks out on the water. They are fearful at first. He awakens them to the realization that it's not a ghost, but it is Jesus that has come to their aid. He stops the storm. He steals their heart. And before they know it, they're at the other shore. For nine, almost nine hours, they had pulled at those oars trying to make that six-mile trip across the river. And they were caught three miles out in the very dead center of that lake when Jesus got to them, fearing for their life. Exhausted, terrified, Jesus came to their aid. Why was that important? It was important because they too were getting caught up. Let's just make him the earthly king and follow him. They too were getting caught up in all of this. He needed them to realize the kind of savior he had become. The kind of savior that he was. His purpose and intent to come to this earth. Is to be our eternal savior. Not our earthly prop up. We don't need that. We need far more than that. The people, on the other hand, spent all night in the storm. When morning came, Jesus wasn't there. His disciples, they had watched him. They got in the boat and went to the other side. Storm had driven several boats ashore. 
When they saw that Jesus wasn't there and his disciples had gone to the other side, they began to flood the boats and some went around the outside, walked around to get to the other side. Until finally they would find him on the other side. We see the people search. Picking up at verse 25, verse 24 of our text. Once the crowd realized, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? How how did you do this? Now, they didn't realize he had walked across the water and got in the boat and crossed on with the rest of them. They sought him for the wrong reason. And they found him. Still blinded to the person and the power of Jesus, they had no comprehension of the greatness of our Lord and what he could do. We see Jesus' response. Unimpressed by their enthusiasm, enthusiasm, he went right to the heart of the matter in verse 26 of our text. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Now think about that. What is he saying to them? He's saying, guys, the only reason you're following me, the only reason you're here, is because I fed your stomach. I met your physical need. And all you're after is the food. They didn't want God. All they wanted was his earthly blessings, what he could give. Folks, we misunderstand. If we think when we come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Some years ago, I had a grown man make a decision for Christ. He came into the church. He was serious. He made a legitimate commitment to Christ. Some weeks later, he said, you know, since I've become a Christian, it seems like things are just going better. I thought, well, you better hold on. Put your seatbelt on because it's fixing to get tough. You follow me? When you come to Christ, that doesn't mean everything gets okay. That doesn't mean all your problems disappear. That doesn't mean all your troubles will evaporate. The truth of the matter is the devil will get after you more now than he did before. Because you belong to the Son of God. It doesn't mean an easy road. But it means you will not travel that road alone. That your Lord and your Savior is with you. The problem is we seek Him for the wrong reasons. Some come and they seek Him because they think God will simply bless their life. To others, we come to church for business contacts, uh, to make friends, if you will. Some come because they think their children need to be in church. And all three are true and all three are right in some sense of the word. But guys, if that's all it's about, we've missed the point. We have misunderstood. They were seeking their Lord for the wrong reason. We must not simply teach our children how to walk. We must teach them where to walk. They had an organization for kids who had certain diseases. This young boy had no disease, but he had a problem with his leg, and he couldn't walk. Surgery was necessary. With surgery and the proper work, his leg could be straightened and he would have the ability to walk. They took him under their wing. They paid all of the cost. And for this small child, they were able to work it. So with the days come on, with the therapy that would follow, he would be able to walk. 
As the lady who had been a part of that organization, Miss Sangster, began to share the story, someone asked her, well, well tell us about that boy that you, you helped fix his leg and you did the surgery and you covered the cost and you helped him to walk. Where's he today? Is he a doctor or a preacher or a teacher? And on down the list they went. And she said, no, I'm sorry to tell you he's in prison. And she said, they said, we don't understand. She said, we taught him how to walk, but not where to walk. Church is not simply about just being here. It is about teaching the truth of the Word of God and instilling in the minds of our hearts and the lives of our children that we are to be disciples of Christ. The holy, heavenly God has sent His Son to give us life and life eternal. We are to make eternal results. We teach them how to walk, how to know the truth of the Word of God, and the best they can, how to live it. Guys, it's not easy for us. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for you, but it's important. These people were seeking Jesus, but they sought Him for the wrong reason. They sought Him in the wrong way. We see the labor that Christ condemns. Listen to verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. He said, you're all worried about these things. Guys, we love our things. We live in a society thing. We all got our things, right? We love stuff. But he said, don't make that the focus of your life. And yet they had. They had left their homes. They had spent their night in the storm. They had crossed all the way around the lake looking for Jesus. And his response to them was, I don't want this kind of disciple. God does not condemn honest labor and hard work. The Bible honors it. But he does condemn idolatry that puts things first in our lives. Things first. We have idols today. They're not carved images out of stone or rock. They take on different forms. It may be 3,000 square feet of home. It may be a lake house or a boat house. It may be an automobile with a motor so big you couldn't put your arms around it, so to speak. It may be a four-wheel drive truck with 20-inch tires. Our gods take on different forms. Our gods may be a little girl with blonde curly hair or a little boy with big blue eyes. You say, Brother Ken, our children can be our gods. You're right, they can. You see, I think that's really what the real story of Abraham and Isaac was about. I think the real reason that God confronted Abraham was because Isaac was in the possibility and the potential and the probability of becoming the God of the Father that had waited on him so long. God didn't need Isaac to become a spoiled, useless son of a father that worshipped him. He needed him to become the child of God. And the only way he could do that was straighten out the heart of Abraham. And say to Abraham, I want you to give him back to me. 
And Abraham passed that test when he was willing to give his son back to God. I'm going to tell you, when God gives them to us, there has to come a time in our life when we get on our knees and give them back to God. Lord, you, you let me enjoy them. You let me share with them. You let me live with them. But don't never let me lose sight that they belong to you. To you. God's. There are many idols in our world today. Do we serve God because He is God or because He comes through in our hour of need? What happens when God doesn't come through in our hour of need? What happens when we've prayed and someone we love doesn't get well? Do we lose our faith? Do we turn on God? Do we walk away because He hadn't bailed us out? He let us down. You see how far that equation goes? Or do we love him in spite of whatever life throws at us because he is our Lord and our Savior? Do we love him only when we have good health and happy families and friends and possessions? He was graduating from high school. His family could afford it, and what he wanted was a, was a car for graduation. They could afford it. They didn't mind it. Nothing was said. We just knew the request. And When he graduated, his dad reached over and handed him a brand new Bible. That teenage son was enraged. He throwed his Bible on the table and walked out. He didn't say a word. His dad didn't say a word. That rocked on for a few days and a few weeks. They didn't really even talk. One day, a little embarrassed at his behavior. That graduate walked in and reached over and picked up that Bible that he really deep down did appreciate. And he opened the flap. And there was a note to his son. Congratulations, son. We love you. And inside the flap of that Bible was the title to that vehicle he had wanted so bad. Do we love God for what he can give us? Or do we love him for who he is? what he has already done for us. If we love him for what he can give us, we will fall. We will give in to our peers. We will crumble over under opposition and hardships and trials. If we only love him for what he can give us, our love is too shallow to have meaning. We see the labor Christ condemns in verse 27. That that is simply for the things of this world. J.C. Riley said it well when he said, We are to read our Bibles like men digging for buried treasure. We are to wrestle in prayer like men fighting for our lives against an enemy. And we must take our whole heart into the house of God and listen like those listening to the reading of a wheel. Are we willing to take the challenge? Say, Lord, I want to be a real, committed, genuine disciple. Is that how we seek God? Are we only interested in the rewards that he can give us? As we look into a couple of these verses for a moment, I want you to listen to what's said. Then they ask him, what must we do 
to do the works God requires. What do you want us to do? Jesus answered, the works of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? (laughs) He's already fed the 5,000. They've already watched people miraculously healed. How much more does he have to do? Then they, they tipped their cart and showed their real heart. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What were they saying? Back in the day of Moses, God just fed the people. Wouldn't it be nice to stay home, never have to go to work, and God just drop your food out of heaven, meet all you need? Can you imagine how quick we'd get sorry? We never had to do anything. Never had to make a commitment. Have you ever noticed how lazy you get when it's holiday for two or three days and you sit around and eat and watch television? About three days of that and we can't hardly go back to work, right? Some of you laugh. I know you're listening. Their hearts were not willing to submit themselves to Jesus. Just as food satisfies the human hunger, Jesus satisfies the soul. He went on to tell them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. You say, yuck, and I do too. But he wasn't talking literally. What was he saying? Just as a man's body feeds on food to keep it going, a man's soul and heart feeds on his relationship with the Savior. Have you ever pulled one of those rechargeable flashlights out and started to go outside and you hit the button and it went, whoop, didn't make a sound, the light just went out. You follow me? What was wrong? Kids, what was wrong with that flashlight? Battery's dead, right? What do you have to do to make it work? You got to recharge it, right? It is our relationship with Jesus that recharges our spiritual lives. Gives us the courage to live and stand for him. Verses 30 through 31. We began to realize that the people complain about his provision. Moses gave us food from heaven. He fed us once. They began to question his origin in verse 41 and 42. He says he is from heaven. Why, he grew up among us. It's Joseph's boy. Scripture says a prophet is not without honor except in his own house. I'm going to tell you something. When you, when you first accept the call of ministry, you preach at home. And when I became, got kids, when I became a, a, a pastor, youth, when I became a pastor, when I first started preaching at 17 years old, I had to preach at home. You know the problem with that? They knew me. They heard the things I did. They saw whatever I did. There wasn't no hiding of that. They looked at Jesus and they said, uh, your daddy was Joseph. How can you be from heaven? They missed the Christmas story, didn't they? Who he really was. They questioned his origin. They complained about his requirements. With sadness, Jesus said, 
as he turned and looked at the twelve. Guys, are you going to leave me too? And old Peter spoke up. You know, he, he talked a lot of times when he shouldn't. But this time he spoke up. And he said, Lord, you have the words of life. To whom shall we go? If you can't help us, who can? You have the source of eternal life. Where else can we go, Lord, but to you? Have we come to that realization? I ask you this morning, are you and I willing to make him Lord? Will we say with him, Lord, I'm with you. Jesus became the bread that nobody wanted because he asked them to make real commitments to follow him. Guys, this church entity business isn't worth a flip. Giving our heart and life and soul to the Savior is everything. Being his disciple is everything. I hope and pray that God has spoke to our hearts and reminded us of the depth of our commitment. Lord, I'm with you in the big haul, in the long haul. No matter what stands ahead of me, I've given my life to you. You may say, Brother Ken, I'm here this morning. I've never followed the Lord in baptism. I've never invited Jesus into my life. Guys, you, you don't get to heaven by coming to church. I'm glad you're here. You get to heaven by saying, Lord, I believe you died on the cross and paid for my sins. And I'm accepting your free offer to me to be my Savior and to pay my debt. And by doing that, God, I am, at, I am honestly admitting I have committed sin and I need you to forgive me and cleanse my life. Guys, I don't know any of us that can't admit we've committed sin. We've all done it. The question is, have we let the Savior cleanse us and forgive us? Brother Ken, I'd love to do that, but I can't live up to it. Of course you can't. None of us can. But when we give our heart and life to Jesus, He helps us live for Him the best we can. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Oh, Lord, be with us as we seek to be Your genuine disciples. And Lord, let it rain in our heart that we're not here to follow You because of what we can get but because of what you have given us. Lord, we love you, and we're in it for the long haul. Guide us in our commitments. In Christ's name we pray.